Thank you for downloading the Engineering Commons podcast. In this episode, we talk about keeping track of, organizing, and prioritizing the stuff we need to get done. The Engineering Commons podcast explores challenges encountered by engineers, regardless of their field or industry. Join mechanical engineer Jeff, civil engineer Adam, and electrical engineers Brian and Carmen as they discuss issues of interest to today's engineering professional. This is episode 72, Getting Stuff Done, December 25th, 2014. So Jeff, do you have a more difficult time getting stuff done or figuring out what you need to do? Well, you know, it would seem like getting the stuff done would be the hard part, but quite honestly, I struggle more with figuring out what to do. Um, I never have any shortage of ideas and things that I can write down that I should be doing or I think I ought to be doing. But then it's it's like, well, I don't want to create a list that's just a zillion items long for the sake of a zillion items long. So then I worry about, well, what's really the more important thing to do? And I think that's probably a form of procrastination where I can spend hours and hours going, well, you know, let's study the, let's study the issues a little more and let's get a little more information. And and all of a sudden, I've I've wasted forty five minutes or an hour uh, just deciding whether the the order should be ABC or CBA. So, <laughs> well, you only waste forty five minutes. I've wasted months. <laughs> <laughs> well, I say here on the podcast forty five minutes, but I can tell you there have been numerous hours in my life that have been wasted trying to figure out what I should be tackling next. Mm-hmm. I find if I can actually get over that first hurdle to start getting something done, I'm usually mm-hmm. good till at least the last 90, 95%. And then I just want to be done with it. And I got to force yeah. myself to power through and make sure it's done right. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm always glad I did do it right. But that day, no, I'm miserable. <laughs> <laughs> it's a stupid right. project. Should never have done it in the first place. But once, as soon as it's done, that's oh, great. Loved every minute of it. Yeah. Well, I think that's the key is that there is no, no optimal order to do things. That We just don't have enough information. And so the point is you got to start in on something and – work on it. And if it doesn't go some, you know, you don't see any progress being made, well, maybe you, you switch gears and, and try something else for a while. Yeah. Yeah. You can't be afraid to uh, drop a project if you're not getting anywhere on it. Personal projects here. Sometimes for work, you're stuck going down with the ship. Yeah. Well, I wish we had uh, Chris back this week. He kept referencing a book uh, by Seth Godin called The Dip, where it was like, well, how do you know, you know, how to power through and, and get things done when when you weren't making immediate progress. And I can, that was always my issue is I never knew when to abandon the project and when to keep powering through and, and feeling like I was just getting further and further behind. Yeah. It's a tricky balance to find. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's uh, certainly a thing of importance to, to engineers. Adam and I were, were talking before we started recording here that we were sort of questioning that, uh, do, do they really pay us for what we do? Or do they pay us for what we know, or do they pay us for what we might be able to do in case we get into a uh, into a situation where nobody knows exactly what they should be doing? Uh, I'm gonna say it's the all three, but probably the third one. <laughs> <laughs> when the money's on the line is when you really gotta shine. Oh man, a rhyme too. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Another t-shirt idea, huh? There we go. When the money's on the line, it's your time to shine. Coming to you in 2015. There you go. Yeah, I don't. At the end of the year, though, nobody ever said, "Well, Jeff, I want to talk to you about the things you might have done this year." It was always, uh, "Let's talk about the things you actually accomplished during the year." So apparently, 
uh, at least in re- for uh, annual reviews, they like to talk about what you've actually done. So I always recommend getting some dirt on your boss so you can blackmail him and say, well, I tell you what I didn't do. And then that's when the raise goes up a few percentage points. I suggest not doing that if you like your job. Also, we're not lawyers on this podcast. Please don't uh, yeah, please don't follow any of our advice. We are not lawyers. But it's never failed for me. He said with a wink and a grin. There you go. Well, it's so I guess we'll talk in this podcast about why engineers have to get stuff done and how, how we might go about doing it. That sounds good for me. Sounds and, good. Uh, I see you have a, a shout out here you'd like to go to. I do. I, over the weekend, got an uh, email from a gentleman who was uh, going to be in the, in the Indianapolis area for a trade show uh, that's held downtown. And he said, hey, I'm, I'm this close. Do you want any chance you'd be in the area? And I could say hi. And uh, it turns out that it was a... a uh, it was called PRI. It was the Performance Racing Industry Conference. And I enjoy, as I might have mentioned before, I go to the Indianapolis 500 every year and I enjoy auto racing. And so uh, I grabbed a friend and we went down to the show. And uh, so I got to meet Ioannis Andrianakis, who is, runs a business he, uh, called Plex Tuning, P-L-E-X-Tuning.com. And uh, so got a chance to meet him and his brother, who run a business uh, uh, building little boxes for uh, they do race or boost control for race cars and uh, knock detection as well as just uh, if you want to gather uh, data from the car they they have devices to do that and so it was nice uh, having a chance to visit with uh, Ianis and uh, get to wander the show which was actually it was it was less a at least in my impression it was less a racing show and more like a, a tool and machine show Lots of lots of machining centers, and they had people that were advertising their ability to do castings and, you know, blocks of aluminum and titanium and plate uh, coatings, that kind of stuff, and a zillion people selling pistons. Boy, were there a lot of pistons being sold there. So, <laughs> uh, it was a fun show. So anyway, I wanted to thank uh, Ioannis for uh, inviting us down there and enjoyed meeting him. So that was good. So, Carmen. Yes, I'm listening. <laughs> what, what do we what do we do to get stuff done? Whatever my boss tells me. <laughs> so, so do you, uh, I'm, I'm guessing your boss doesn't come to you with a list every morning that says, "Here's what I want you to do today, Carmen." No, if that happens, it's usually because uh, some shit hit the fan over the night. Right, right. So, any day that doesn't happen is a good thing. Yeah, and so how do you determine when you walk in in the morning? Today was a Monday morning. When you walked in the office this morning, how did you determine what you needed to get done? I counted down the hours until I was on Christmas break and determined how I had to run the clock from there. Um, no, it <laughs> <laughs> so you were pl- you're, you're playing prevent defense, just trying to run out the clock. Pretty much, yeah. Just keeping my head down. I don't want any issues popping up before I go home for Christmas. You know, just, right. just hanging low for now. Okay. Uh, no, it, uh, it, it all gets pretty simple. I only have one chip at a time to deal with. You know, if everything's quiet in the field and I don't have a customer issue pop up and it's just, we got to get this chip out the door. Um, it's pretty easy. It's, I have a giant spreadsheet for validation and I just pick a test and go run it because they all have to get done. Um, Mm -hmm. there's not usually too much order is to, you know, this one has to come before this one. You know, we care about startup before we care about transient response. Um, 
Sometimes if there's a, a known new circuit in there, uh, you'll test that one first just because that's more likely to break than a proven circuit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just pick a test on the list and go do it. And just so I have something to report at my weekly meeting and show I'm making progress. And so this, you just have these, uh, these tasks in a spreadsheet. Uh, yeah, there's a big validation spreadsheet, you know, and you have little forms that says paste this waveform here. And what was the settling time here? And how much overshoot did you have here? Okay. Um, so I, part of my to-do list, I guess, is to make the validation to-do list for a chip. Um, so that you have all these tasks agreed upon ahead of time by everybody and all different departments come in and say, yes, this is a good way to focus our efforts on this part. But if validation's kind of died down like it is now, I get the fun job of catching up on documentation. So I know I have to get a data sheet update out to the field before I go on Christmas vacation. So that's my highest priority now. Cool. Yep. And right now it's, you know, it's that in-between time between preliminary and when we're actually released. So I get to work with the testing guys and go over their data with them and help firm up the limits on the spec. You know, if we say a voltage is going to be just preliminary, yeah. Prelim before we get the part back, we'll say, oh, it's five volts plus or minus 100 millivolts or something. And mm-hmm. then now that we've had a chance to test a few hundred to a few thousand parts, they'll say, you can tighten that up to plus or minus 60 millivolts or 50 millivolts. Um, and then you, you get closer and closer to what your production limits are going to be. Right. So your identifier or your reminder of what to do next is, is not a, uh, it's not sort of a formal to-do list. It's not a formal, it's not like a chart or a, a beacon or something, uh, not a beacon, but a, but a, like a display where people can see what you need to get done. Cause some places, you know, they like to show what each person is working on to make it visible, what you have to get done. You're just checking these spreadsheets to see what's next on the, on the validation list. Yeah. Yeah. And I present that every week at a, you know, weekly meeting for any active chip, you know, in development. And, you know, I'll say, this is the progress I've made since last week. Um, you know, and design will pipe in with what they've done. And then you kind of take that time to reevaluate and, you know, instead of saying, all right, Carmen, uh, based on what we've seen so far, keep going with the spreadsheet or, you know, well, it looks like we are having trouble here. Let's see what we can do to, you know, shift some resources around and focus your efforts there instead. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of nice. It's redefined, you know, every week. Um, if I have multiple parts or, you know, a few different tasks, like I'm, you know, running a long-term test for the next generation chip or something, then I, I find it personally helpful to have just kind of a to-do list, either scribbled in my notebook or up on a whiteboard somewhere that, you know, lets me keep track of everything that's going on. Okay. Well, we'll talk a little more about the idea of using whiteboards and some of the methods a little later on. So, Adam, what about you? How do you keep track of all the things that they're expecting you to do on a daily basis? Uh, well, um, my, it's kind of uh, relates pretty closely to how my day typically starts. Okay. Uh, first thing I do when I get in in the morning, I just make a quick rounds and, and make sure nothing came up with any of our, our technicians in my office. Mm-hmm. Usually that's uh, just kind of warming up and waking up for the morning. Right. Then I get to my, uh, my email and uh, go through that and check my phone messages. Uh, I also keep a, an Excel spreadsheet of all the ongoing projects. You still get phone messages? I get a surprising number of phone messages. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people, a lot of people like to call and, yeah, I don't even answer my phone half the time. You know, some things are just easier to do on the phone. Yeah. The, the, and, and that maybe is a, another, that may be another episode, communications. But anyway. Yeah. And, and that's certainly a generational thing where, 
I I talk with uh, since I have the gray hair, you know, I I talk with other people my age, and they go, "Can you believe these kids?" You know, nobody wants to talk on the phone. That's too much trouble. We can. It's so much easier if you'll just talk to me on the phone, and in five minutes we can bang this thing out and be done with it. And they want to spend all day texting back and forth. Uh, where I, whereas I talk to my younger colleagues, and they go, "Can you believe these old people? They, all they want to do is talk on the damn phone. It's just send me a text, tell me what you want done, I'll take care of it. They're wasting time." So. Um, Phone, face-to-face, and email all have their place, right? in my opinion. But Yep. Um. Yeah. My, my problem is I'm never in my office. I'm always in the lab. So if the phone rings, I'm never around to pick it up. Yeah. And when I am in my office, it's usually spam. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyways, after I get through my messages, um, I go to the literal stack of things I have to do in my office. Ooh. This is like a like a, a stack of Jenga blocks or something. Uh, not not quite. Uh, as plans come in for review and and to be looked at, I I put them in a stack and I keep it sorted by priority. Um, and then I that's, literally that's grab pretty impressive. The first thing on the top of the stack and start going on that. And if I get to that by nine thirty, it's a pretty good day. Okay. Now, so when I had stuff on my desk, it was always I I never prioritized it. I just. Uh, I claimed that I knew where uh, approximately what the strata was of where it was buried on my desk, and that was that was good enough. I've got a little bit of that too. It's kind of the system <laughs> I've adopted as well. Uh, except I'm, I'm very organized in my computer. I have nice, neat directories, and I can find anything very quickly. Same with my email too. But uh, yeah, when it comes to physical paper, eh, wherever. It, it comes down to that same same concept. Some things are easier to do on paper. Well, so now one of the uh, one of the easiest way to keep track of items that we need to do is the uh, the classic but never seems to go out of style to-do list. I, I think virtually everyone at some point has been handed a to-do list. Here, here are the things that I need to do one after another. And the nice thing is it, it gets it down on a piece of paper so you don't have to uh, to remember it. But the to-do, to-do list does nothing about organization or prioritization or doesn't put things together that might be uh, synergetic. Um, in fact, I, there was, uh, I came across one little note. To-do lists are the last bastion for the organizationally damned. They're the embodiment of evil. They possess us and torment us, controlling what we do, highlighting what we haven't. They make us feel inadequate and dismiss our achievements as if they were waste. These insomnia-producing, checkboxing Beelzebubs have intimidated us for too long, and they must be stopped. So hardly a uh, a favorable view of the traditional to-do list, but still when I'm in a pinch, that's what I go back to. If if I if I'm starting to feel overwhelmed, I pull out a piece of paper and I write down, okay, let's just get it out. Let's write down the things that need to be done. Yes. Yeah, and so uh it's helpful just to see it in a big list or big pile in front of you. Yeah. And just kind of figure out, all right, this is everything on my plate. How do I sort it from here? And in, in sort of in response to these criticisms of the to-do list, there are a couple of real simple variations that I've, I've come across that people use. One is the 135 system where instead of writing, you may have a list with everything written down, but then on a daily list, uh, some people do the one item list, which is the most important task. And so they go, I don't care what else I get done all day, but I'm going to get this one task done. Or there's the variation where you do the 135 where you write down one important thing three moderately important things and five less important things. And you, 
you know, you, you start on whichever you can get done, but the goal is to get the one most important thing done during the day. Although if you're like me, a lot of days you get lots of the unimportant things done and still find yourself staring at the most important thing come, come the end of the day. Sometimes it's good to sweep away those little things that are just building up. Yeah. You know, cause then they're always nagging you in the back of your mind and it's, it's just taking away your focus from the one big thing. Yeah. Well, we'll, when we get to talking about the uh, getting things done system, that's one of the, the big selling points of that is just, uh, it's same thing with a to-do list is you, once you've written the stuff down, it's out of your brain and there's a certain emotional load mm-hmm. off of you just because you don't have to remember it anymore. It's written down. Yeah. Just unloading is, is very helpful. Yeah. Have you ever heard of the, uh, the autofocus method? I can't say I have. No. Okay. Well, there was a, uh, a gentleman named Mark, uh, Mark Forster. And I feel uh, like I've heard that name tossed around various podcasts. So it, he's got a website, uh, Mark Forster, F O R S T E R dot net. And he hasn't, uh, I think he's still writing books, but, but some of these ideas with autofocus came mostly in like 2010 and 2011. He has another one, uh, this more recent uh, version called fi- what he calls final version uh, for handling these to do lists. But and I looked at this for a while because it looked like, well, maybe this is a better way for me to get through the to-do list because I always struggled with, again, uh, if you if you have a creative job and you have something like, you know, create a better widget, how do you know when you're done? That was always my problem is, is you know, calling an end to the task. But anyway, his, his autofocus is basically you, you create one giant list. And so if you've got a, you know, a notebook or something, you page after page, whatever, you just write down all the items and then – you go when you're done writing everything down and getting it out of your system, getting the emotional load off. Then you go through the items and you start down page number one. And if you see an item, oh, first you go item by item and look at the stuff on the page. You review the stuff on the page, and then you start again at the top and go down. And if you find something you think you should be doing or you want to do, you write down a little dot next to it. And the idea being that that's your first action. And since the, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step, writing the little dot gets you doing something, you know, you've done something. And so now you start on the project and whether you finish it or not, when you're done, you cross that off the list. And if you still have more to do, then you write the item again at the end of your list. And then you start down the end of page number one. And when you get all the way to the bottom of page number one, you've done all the things you feel like doing there. Then you start on page number two and then you start on page number three. And over time, you get to the end of all your pages. You go back to page number one. You start again. Look for something to do. If you feel in the mood, you do it. And if you don't, if, you just, if you've been through it several times and you're never going to do it, then you can highlight it. Why it's highlighted, I don't know. But they choose to use a highlighter to say, okay, this item has been dismissed. I'm not going to do this anymore. And then, you know, once everything on the page is done, obviously over time, the number of items on each page, you get shorter and shorter because you've either finished the item or, or you've dismissed the items and then you, you move on. So the, uh, the nice thing about this was that it didn't try, it, you don't try to prioritize it. You don't waste time prioritizing, which was always my problem. You just start on a page and you go down. And if there's anything there you feel like can get done right now, go do it. If not, go to the next page. And quite honestly, if you do this a couple of times, you feel really bad about the cycle. You, you go, you loop through that about three times in a day and you go, okay, let's be real. Either, either there are items on here I need to dismiss, get rid of, 
uh, or I need to get busy. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that, uh, being a little disheartening as you keep going through and you, I don't feel like doing any of these. <laughs> right. <clears throat> now, now, and I don't think that's necessarily bad. There are days when I don't feel like doing any of those things, but I come up, usually I have other creative ideas that come along with it. And I think, Oh, well, I don't, I don't want to tackle this, but there's something else I want to do. Or it, it makes me think, well, why is it I don't want to tackle it? You know, let's be realistic. What is the reason? Is there, uh, is there something about this outcome? I think, well, if I start in, uh, for instance, I could have something like, well, I need to, uh, I need to sort all my books that I've got sitting here in my office. And I go, okay, well, if I sit there and start sorting all the books, well, that's going to remind me of all the books I've bought and haven't read. And so what's my issue? Is the issue really sorting books or the, is the issue that I feel like I'm going to have this emotional guilt from having bought all these books and never got around to reading them and sorting them is going to remind me of that. And if that's the case, then you, and truly this is, this is the thing I deal with. It's, it's okay. Well, I will sort it today. I'll put my guilt aside. Let me just get the, the books sorted and in the shelf where they belong. And then I can worry about the guilt of, of not having gotten them read some other day. Yeah, and then you at least get to cross off the sort books item, and you can put (laughs) feel guilty on the last page. (laughs) There you go. Set set aside 10 minutes to feel guilty. Exactly. Yeah, that's a nice reinforcement technique, too, because then, you know, you're like, oh, well, this page, if I just get done these two items, I can cross off a whole page. And then before you know it, you're you're a regular GTD or you're getting things done, taking care of business. Yeah. Well, and there's a book called the, I think it's the Progress Principle, but the idea is that uh, in organizations, I mean, th- this book was really talking about organizations, I think, more than us individually. But for us to feel good about our work, the idea is that we need to ma- be making constant progress. And so managers should be trying to arrange things so that people on a regular basis feel like they're making progress. And that's, that's as a manager, that's extremely hard because if you come up against, there are going to be periods where things are easy and there are going to be periods where things were hard. And, and obviously, when things are easy, it's not too uh, difficult to make everybody feel like you're, do, you're making progress. But when things are hard, now what do you do? Do you uh, do you dilute the uh, goals or do you simplify the process uh, and and make less progress for the business sh- just so your employees feel like they're making progress? I don't I don't have a good answer for that one. I can't really say I do either, but that's why I'm not a manager. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So we've talked about several ideas that uh, are sort of focused around the traditional to-do list where you just, you know, you take a piece of paper, you write them down, and you identify, you know, here, here are the ideas, and I'm going to check them off or I'm going to cross them out as I get done. What are some other ways that we as engineers might try to get things done? Yeah. Well, well, the big one and probably the most well-known is the, uh, the getting things done method, the GTD method by uh, Paul Allen. Mm-hmm. And th- this one uh, may be the most complicated. I don't know exactly how you want to rank the complexity of these things, but uh, there's, there's five steps that you're supposed to be doing continuously. Uh, that is, mm-hmm. capture everything you have to do. Just dump it all out like we've been talking about. Just put it all on one big list. Then right. you have to clarify, um, you know, figure out why you're doing those things. Organize them to actionable items by category and priority. So if you just have this big list and you realize, well, th- these are all, you know, these five or six can all be grouped under one heading and, you know, just put them together in some general checklist. Mm-hmm. You know, that's part of the fourth step there, reflecting, organizing, reflecting, and then just go do it. Right. So so have you read the uh, Getting Things Done book 
Uh, no, I haven't actually read Paul Allen's book, no. But I, I feel like I have because I listened to Back to Work podcast, and they love the Getting Things Done system there. Oh, okay. Um, our brief, you know, hour or so podcast isn't going to get all the nuances or the pros and cons of it nearly laid out as well as they have. So I, I recommend the three-episode arc they did a few years ago, episode 95, 96, and 97, that we will link to in show notes. And they do a excellent deep dive into the getting things done system and why you should and should not use it and how to work around the system and really get the most out of it. Yeah, there's there's no lack of conversation on the internet about getting things done about this method, the GD, GTD method. Uh, you can spend you can spend hours, <laughs> and I have <laughs> just read you know reading and listening and watching all the uh, all the comments and and uh, podcasts and videos that are out about you know the proper way to do GTD. I suppose that's one of the that's the plus side is there's no one right way to do it, but it's also a downside is you can you can waste a lot of time trying to optimize the system. But I think I think the the five steps are important. The, the capture everything again is trying to uh, put it in your inbox. They call it, but the idea is to get it out of your brain so you you are no longer emotionally loaded with it. You don't feel like you oh I just have so much to do. You get that out of your system because you've written it down. Uh, the clarify the things you have to do. You need to start to prioritize those things and categorize them, organize them into actionable items. And, and there's the important thing is, is breaking them down into if you've, if I've got something like, you know, clean up uh, my office, straighten up the books, then, and I know that one of the things that is I want to label, you know, for one of the cabinets to make sure that I could have my next item be get out the labeler. Yeah. Okay. And the idea is that you, you break it down to something, a small item that you can take action on. Yeah. And you, you gotta go you, as small as you possibly can. You clearly identify that action. And uh, a nuance to the GDT system is, is a lot of times you will break out the uh, context. So, so you might break out the fact that it's done in the office. So you might, you might have tasks that are appropriate for when you're in the car or tasks that are appropriate when you're at the computer or tasks that are appropriate when you're at a phone, that kind of thing. And you might also break out the tasks by what your, what your energy level is. Is it in the morning when you're full of energy? Or is it late in the afternoon where you're kind of dragging? Then maybe you want to do something that's a little more mindless in the eat in the afternoon and something that takes a little more active thinking in the morning, those kind of things. So that's all part of the organizing the items by category and prioritizing or, or by category and priority and tagging them so you know what the context is. Merlin on Back to Work, Merlin Mann, he's a big fan of, um, you know, to help you capture all this and do that. Mm -hmm. Instead of just kind of writing down and trying to recall each and every little task that comes into your mind, um, they're a big fan of index cards. And if you always just have a stack of index cards nearby, as soon as one hits you, you know, you pull out your index card, write it down, and just set it aside. Then every week or every two days or every other week, you know, whatever's good for you, you can sit down with your stack of index cards, and then you can manually, you know, slide things around and put it into a list and write it down from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, and that's an important part is that, and that was always hard for me is I, I was good at the getting started with lots of index cards. And then I never wanted to sit down and spend the hour to sort out <laughs> the index cards. And I ended up, you know, my, my, I would, my pile would get deeper and deeper with all these cards. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they, they have tips and stuff for how to get over that hump and, you know, just various suggestions for you because they're productivity professionals, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah. Um, so, I like to, so, so what, go ahead. 
I was gonna say I like their uh you know, the one about organizing into actual items. They're they're big one they talk about as a task, you know, we can all relate to like cleaning the garage or cleaning the basement, you know, some tasks that everybody has, but really there's a lot of steps that go into that. You know, it's well yeah, if you look down there and you just see the big monstrosity of a mess that your basement's become from years of just throwing things down there, then that task will never get done. But mm-hmm. you know, if you buy garbage bags, you know, buy Clorox wipes or whatever it is you're going to use to clean and scrub with. Uh, you know, that's two tasks right there. You can break it down into. You're still making progress because if you go down there and you don't have the cleaning supplies or the bags, you're not going to get anything done that day. Right. Um, and then, you know, just get, get two or fill two or three garbage bags worth of trash. You know, that, that right there is a nice actionable item or at least sort things into this we're definitely keeping, this could definitely be trash, this could be donated. Um, you know, just, just working your way through two or three bags worth of stuff is, you're going to make progress. And then the next time, you do two or three more bags and break it into manageable, manageable chunks. Right. Yeah, and so it also matters on on how, what the urgency of the process is. So if if cleaning out the garage is something that can be done today or can be done over the next month, it doesn't really matter. You know, no one's coming to see the house, so it's not something that has to happen the af- this afternoon. Well, then you've got some you've got some flexibility in what you're doing. If if uh, you got to leave because you're selling your house, <laughs> yes, exactly. Then then you've got some other things where you've got, you've got to. Uh, you, you may have to change some priorities and put other things aside in order to get things done. Um, and I think that's that's probably if there's a shortcoming to the GDT system, uh, that's one of them is that it really doesn't say anything about prioritizing. Uh, a task is a task, and within the GDT system, it you know unless you go through and put you know a, a, some sort of contextual note that says this is high priority or low priority, the system itself doesn't tell you what you should be doing next. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I found at work when I've tried to use it for tasks, you know, for, you know, validation or data sheet or, you know, break it all down into actionable chunks that I can get done, you know, over the course of a day or a week. And, you know, and then all of a sudden a customer issue pops up, which is the highest priority because if the customers aren't happy with your chips, they're not going to buy new ones. So who cares what you're working on now? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So then, then I have to deal with that, and it, it just blows my nice, beautiful to-do list right out of the water, and it, it's hard to juggle it all. So then I just kind of fall off the wagon with the system and have to keep going. Yeah. Well, and, and the so – so the GDT system is nice in that it is method agnostic. And by that, I mean it doesn't say you have to use our system – you know, uh, any particular system. So if you use, say, the Franklin planners uh, were popular and may still be popular, uh, which had it, you know, you had to buy the, if you're going to use that system, you you bought the Franklin planner books, the the notebooks, and you bought the Franklin planner uh, paper and you use their system. And there are certain software systems where you have to use their software to in order to implement their system. Well, GDT doesn't care. Uh, you can do it. There are software programs for doing it. But you can also do it with paper and pencil, and it doesn't care whether you use index cards or you use a notebook or, you know, all these ideas for GDT can be done in, in all these different ways. But I think the, at least for me, the, the, the key takeaway after spending many hours working on trying to get this to work for my system uh, is that no rigid structure is perfect for all cases and a lot of it depends on your situation, what, how often you're interrupted, 
how many tasks you have to do and how many directions you're being pulled, uh, what works for you, what's easy for you to make notations on. So if you're a person that's, that has a notebook in your pocket and you can always write a note down, then write notes down. If you're a person that has your cell phone with you and you can, you can uh, write, you know, keep track of something on there, then keep track of something on there. Uh, but, but nothing is a silver bullet. Nothing will take care of your, of your needs. You still have to do the work of thinking about, you know, reflecting on what needs to be done next and why it needs to be done next. Yeah, definitely. It definitely requires you to be very engaged in the process and, you know, use what tools are best for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, there's no lack of resources. If you want to know about GDT, go online. There are tons of software programs that claim to implement GDT and tons of people that have their opinions on the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it. Do, do you, uh, have you tried any of this uh, GDT stuff, Adam? Uh, no, I, I haven't. Although, to be honest, it sounds really familiar, um, like heavily implemented in project management concepts. And uh, I don't know, I could almost say I invented parts of this or I, I uh, use parts of this, but just kind of came up with it myself. Right. So, um, so yeah, I think there's a lot of good things in there, uh, breaking things down into little pieces and yeah, that's definitely, definitely helpful. Yeah. One, one of the things that the other things that, uh, they deal with in GDT that uh, it's a little hard to, to deal with, but what do they, what do they call it? Uh, stuff that can't be moved in time and, and importance. It's, is it the hardscape? Is that what they call it? It's, it's either landscape or hardscape items. On this one. But, but the idea is that you've got certain things that, uh, for instance, you've got a meeting next Tuesday. Well, that's not, there's not, you know, that's not optional. You have to be at that meeting next Tuesday and you have to be prepared for that meeting. So you have to write that down as a item. Uh, so you've got, so, okay, there's several things going on. First of all, it's a calendar item so that it's an event, right? Uh, but there also may be tasks uh, associated with those with that event that you have to complete before that event happens. And there may be other items like notes that you have to keep track of that are, you know, information that's related to all that. And, and all these systems struggle. Some are better with tasks. Some are better with calendars. Some are better with notes Uh, and finding one that does them all equally well, I think is impossible. So again, I, I just, if, if someone is going in and, and with the thought that some, time management system, some time productivity system is going to be a magic bullet and it will solve all your problems. Bless you if you're able to figure out how to make that work, but you can spend a lot of time trying to optimize something to make it perfect. And I don't think you'll ever get there. I think that you have to be satisfied with the, uh, the 2080 principle. If you find something that, uh, uh, works, uh, you know, 80% of the time, <laughs> then you're, uh, you're doing pretty good because it, it's just, it's not worth the time trying to optimize this thing uh, to to try to say, you know, all the sub projects and all the sub items and all the things you might be able to do. You'll waste time tending to the system. You'll spend all your time tending to your garden and and none uh, eating the fruits of the garden, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. If you're not actually getting anything done, it's not a great system in the end. It <laughs> needs some tweaking. And that quote I I said about to do lists, you know, about us being subject to the to-do list. I think that's a lot of it. If you're not careful, you know, you'll spend all your time playing with your system and not getting things done. Definitely. Definitely. And just so we don't turn this show into a whole nother focus on the, the GTD system here, what are, what are some of the other ones we have on our list? Let's see this, this next one isn't really a organizational method. It's more of a 
workflow method, I guess, to use some buzzwords. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Pomodoro, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, that's the as best I understand it, the Italian word for tomato. Ooh, because uh, guys who came that. up with had a timer that looked like a tomato. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the and I, Chris and I talked about this in an early episode, but the idea here is that especially for those people that uh, tend to procrastinate. And I, I do, I tend to procrastinate. I don't have trouble keeping focus. So for those people that have trouble keeping focus on one thing for a while, uh, this system is really good. And the idea is that you take your timer and you set it to 25 minutes. And then whatever the task is at hand, you do that task for 25 minutes. And when the timer goes ding and you're done and you get a five minute break and during that five minutes, you can do whatever you like, you know, Look up the uh, the latest scores on on the internet, or or read the news, or you know call a friend, whatever you like, and you get to you keep a, a chart of this stuff, and you get to you know x off whatever it is this uh, this Pomodoro, uh, you x it off, and and sort of gives you a sense of accomplishment. You did that that one, and you see how many Pomodoros you can successfully complete during the day. And if you do uh, four Pomodoros in a row, then you get a thirty minute break. Uh, so for those people that have trouble keeping focus, it says keep focus for just 25 minutes and we'll reward you with some time off for you to spend however you want. And if you do it four times in a row, you know, you get a little less than two hours of work done, then you get a 30-minute break. And so uh, for some people, this is very helpful in keep, keeping them on task because they know they don't have to do this forever. It's not an all-day thing, just 25 minutes and and they'll have some time to do what they want. Yeah. And I, I would say another benefit of this, you know, as a little side goal, is it gives you the option to, you know, take a step back from your work, and after the five minutes or half an hour, you come back, mm-hmm. you're you're fresh, you're ready to go again. So you could look back and assess your work and determine if it's quality or if you're just chugging ahead with whatever idea popped in because it's got to get done. Yeah. yeah. Now, obviously, this this only works if you've started with enough time to reflect. Uh, <laughs> if you're down at crunch time, <laughs> you may have to still keep running with it. Yeah. Well, and getting up and, and even just walking around a little bit, it, it, it it's, at least I think it's good for you. I don't have any scientific evidence, but yeah, you, you got to get up, walk around a little bit, refresh yourself. Stop uh, looking at that computer to, screen. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, although I don't suggest uh, uh, telling your boss, oh, I was looking at ESPN.com because uh, <laughs> uh, I did my 25 minutes of work, so now I get my five-minute break. Um, <laughs> They they may not be uh, see it quite the way you do. They may not. Um. Yeah, yeah. So so the system is is useful, and some people swear by it. Some people have great luck with it. It's pro- if you are unable to work in isolation, that is, you're in a office where the phone is constantly ringing. This is going to be tough because you're not going to get a 25 minute period where you can get anything done. Yeah, you're going to have that that coworker who just likes to pop in and. Chew up yeah. 15 minutes of your Pomodoro. Pomodori? Yeah. Pomodori? <laughs> I'm not sure what the plural is. Yeah, and, and, and so the other sort of uh, con to this is that uh, it, can be, it can be a problem for people who like to work in a flow. And that's certainly me. I, I would start on something and the, the bell would ding and I would just keep going because, wait a minute, I'm making progress. I'm, I'll be darned if I'm going to stop now. I'm yeah. working on this stuff. And, and so for me, it's easy to go for an hour or two. If I'm making progress, I can go for two, three, four, maybe four hours before I'm exhausted, but I don't want to give up on that flow. If I've got myself in the state 
and you guys may understand this. Uh, I have, I try to explain this to other people. Some people get it. Some people don't. But if I'm in the flow, I'm doing programming or I'm doing design work, then all this stuff is sitting out there in my brain. And I know, uh, you know, I know where everything is and I know where this variable counter is and I know where this, or, you know, I know where this part is and I, I just, I'm in the flow and it's all there. And as soon as the phone rings, as somebody, you know, somebody comes and, and taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey, I need a moment of your time. It's gone. It's like, it all disappears. And I've got to, when I come back to it, then it takes me 10 minutes to get back into the flow, you know, start thinking about that problem to get everything set back up again. And so for that reason, something like this would just drive me nuts to be, to be interrupted every 25 minutes. No, that's, that'd be no good for that kind of work. Yeah. I find it depends on my task. If I'm in the lab and I'm debugging a circuit, then Mm -hmm. yeah, I'll easily just, you know, come 1130. I'll be, I'll screw, I'll take a late lunch. Uh, you know, I'm going to at least get this measurement done or this, this difficult rework done. I'm not going to try and come back to it and remember what the hell I was doing. Yeah. I'd rather finish it and just let my stomach rumble for a little bit. Um, if I, got the flow of a program i'm writing in my head as i try to teach myself python now then yeah i'm gonna keep going and crank it out but i I find something like this really helps on stuff i don't want to do yeah like data sheet writing yeah now there i think you're right if it's not creative and you're not loving it then forcing yourself to focus for 25 minutes going i'll i'll you know i'll eat my vegetables (laughs) just to get to dessert then yeah i understand that this could be useful yeah yeah i use it so maybe I don't call it the Pomodoro technique, but I do definitely use this kind of carrot and stick method for uh, for data sheet writing because it, it's important. I completely understand that if I write a terrible data sheet, uh, you know, it's my fault when I get a whole bunch of emails I don't want to answer with people asking questions I think are dumb. Well, I should put them in the data sheet. <laughs> and then at least I could refer people to that when I get the dumb emails. But, you know. Mm-hmm. Whatever, but it's not like right. fun writing like a, an article would be, or you know, a, a, an important test procedure. It's it's mm-hmm. data sheet writing. It's dull. It's dry, but it, it's nice that it's you know data sheets are broken up into nice headings. So in about a twenty five minute session, I can get one of them done. Yeah. And so I'll, you figure this out, and you can go take a walk around and see if there's any donuts anywhere. Right. Right. I have a, a maybe a slight variation on this that uh, if I've got something I, I absolutely need to get done, but I really don't want to. Um, and I keep finding myself distractions. Uh, I will book a conference room and I'll go into a conference room for an hour and work on that. And mm-hmm. then it's, you know, it's a, basically an empty room, no email, no phone calls, uh, and nobody knows where I'm, where I am. Right. And so I, and I've got, by doing that, I've blocked it off my calendar. So I've got that hour where I've obligated myself to get it done. And is that effective? Does it seem to work for you? Uh, it, it depends on the task. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, in, in general, yeah, it, it works pretty well for me. Okay. And, and for people who want to implement this, again, there are plenty of tools online. You can read about it online. Uh, there are programs you can run on your computer that do the timing and have a place where you can type in each of the tasks so you can you know, keep a, a, a computer record of it and cross them off and uh, there, are f- there are apps for your iPhone or Android phone you can use for uh, keeping track of your 25-minute sessions. So uh, if you decide to give it a try, there's certainly, there's so- certainly some tools out there to help you with that, uh, that uh, trial. What's, uh, what's the next one, Carmen? What's the next way we might keep track of our tasks? Uh, the next one, it's um, 
for lack of a better word, I'll call it a, a GTD Lite, if you will. Okay. Uh, it's kind of new and all the rage. It's called the Bullet Journal Method. Um, and it, it's an organizational method for keeping track of your tasks in a you know, primary, primarily analog fashion uh, with, through the use of a small notebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's pretty minimalist. It can accommodate tasks, you know, notes, events, right? And, and you just you have a page for every single day, and then you know a page or two for each week. And you have you know long term, you know, week long tasks. And each day, you just check off what you have to do. And they have a whole marking system on their website for if you're moving a task to another day, if you're you're completed with the task, if a task is in progress. Um, how to distinguish notes from ideas and all stuff like that. And it, it, it's a pretty effective system. I've kind of got a hybrid bullet journal GTD system that I use for my own personal projects um, that works pretty well. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the name, the, the bullet name comes from the different bullets you use for the different tasks. Is that right? Yes. So for, uh, you know, like a task that you put on a checklist, it's, uh, you know, open and close brackets and that, that, you put that in front or, you know, after a task that you write down. So, you know, take out the garbage. Um, actually, it's a little check, little, little checkbox. Yeah. Yeah. Or they, yeah. they do an X. Um, so, you know, one slash means it's in progress. You know, the second slash means you're done. Okay. Um, you know, if, if an idea you're taking notes and it needs follow up, you know, you put a circle and, you know, then you color the circle in once you follow it up. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a pretty effective little system. Okay. Um, okay. This one, the only problem is, uh, well, maybe not the only problem, but the big one I've seen, you know, and we have here in our show notes is it, it's tough to see future events. So it, it works for a short term, day to day or week, maybe two out. Yeah. So this comes back to the problem again that, that all these systems have is, say, in some cases, you want a great calendar, calendar <laughs> system. Is that um, an exotic it, word? I don't think I've ever heard of it. <laughs> it is the way I pronounce it. Uh, but you want to you want to look at a month's events, and you want to go. Well, I've got time in in the third third week of the month. But systems like that are big picture that that aren't very good in showing. Well, I need to you know I need to pick up the uh, uh, the labeler so I can make labels for my my bookshelf. That's too small an item to really be on the calendar. Yeah, for it's really not. You. A, it really doesn't deserve a day event. You know, and so all these systems you have to throw. There's a trade-off between its ability to handle events, you know, hard, you know, appointments and events really well, or handling tasks really well. And sometimes you end up with tasks that become events, or events that become tasks. You know, they all all these systems have their pluses and minuses. But uh, yeah, I think the bullet journal. What have what have I've not really played extensively with this this approach, but what I've read about it is. Uh, the complaints are mainly that that it's tough to see future events. If it, you can't really use this for for your calendaring system, again, this is a tough word for me. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, but some people really like it for keeping them on a you know day to day basis. It it helps them keep on on task. Yeah, yeah, and it, that's I think that's why I use it more for work at home because if I'm trying to plan out a weekend when. Uh, Kelly's off, you know, for work and traveling, then, you know, I can say, all right, great. I got a chunk of time to uh, really get some stuff done around the house or, you know, so I can, you know, run off to the hardware store, uh, adjust this outlet, do this with the hedges, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I, I find it good for stuff like that. And even though I don't use it 
primarily at work. It is nice during meetings, you know, to take notes and mark off action items or things I want to follow up on uh, as the meeting progresses. Yeah, so that raises a um, an area that I'm interested in. For instance, I use a program now after going through many, many methods. I currently use a, a program called Nozbe, N-O-Z-B-E, uh, for keeping track of my items. And it's not perfect, but it, it works for me. Uh, and it works because, you know, it took me a long time to move into the 21st century and to actually get a smartphone. But now that I have one uh, <laughs> and I carry this around with me all the time, that, that system works okay for me. I'm not saying it's perfect and I'm not saying it's for everyone. Just it works for me. But a lot of these systems, they one of the features they really push is the fact that you can keep track for a small business or even a large business. You can keep track of other people's uh, to-do items, and so if there's a task that say you and uh, you and I, Carmen, need to share, or it, either one of us could do it, or we need to do it together, then there would be a list that has it, you know, a joint list as well as a separate list. And so Nosby is one of those programs that says, well, you know, you can use this for two or ten or twenty or fifty people. And so I'm curious whether I, I'm pretty much a uh, in my world as an academic these days, I'm pretty much a one man band. You know, I. I just have to worry about getting myself done <laughs> and, and don't have to worry about coordinating with too many other people. But in, in modern industry, as you guys see it, is what's the level of coordination that's being asked for uh, as, as you try to coordinate tasks between coworkers? Um, well, actually, I was gonna, going to ask, has anybody actually successfully used one of these cooperative or task assigning systems. Um, I know in, in my office, the way the tasks that I am interact with typically work is they come to me and then I disseminate them and then they come back to me and then I give them back up to, um, usually our, our design, uh, right. office. Um, and so actually a large part of my job is managing tasks. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know things like outlook, They've actually, for many, many years, have had the opportunity to set tasks and forward tasks to other people. Um, but I've never seen anyone use one of those extensively <laughs> or successfully. I, I actually have used the Outlook system, uh, the task one. Not in my current job, but way back in 08 when I was on my mm -hmm. first co-op. Mm -hmm. um, me and the other intern in my specific group, we did that for all the different uh, test fixtures we had to come up with. And, you know, so we'd have the display testing one or the battery testing unit, and we'd have what needs to be done there, whether it's build up the first samples or write the documentation or go over the documentation with the guys on the production floor. Um, and we just used that between the two of us to kind of figure out our tasks and share them between us. But I've never seen it implemented any other time by me or anybody else. Hmm. But it worked good for that. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I'll use this all the time. And then I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. The problem I see is you run across a couple of not tech savvy people. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden they get really confused by, why is this reminder that I have to do this thing up here? Well, it's because so-and-so sent it to me and set that up. Um, and it feels yeah, intrusive. Yeah. They don't want anybody telling them what to do and. That's exactly why I turn off my instant message during work, but that's another conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but that is, and I don't hear about that so much in engineering jobs, but I do hear about that from 
people who work in other industries. Uh, for instance, I've got a good friend who works in the hotel business, and he's been a a manager in you know large and small hotels for a number of years. And so, you know, he knows what needs to be done on a daily basis, and and you know he knows that he needs to check the grounds to make sure everything's clean and everything's operating properly. And he needs he knows the needs to check supplies, and he you know he in his mind has developed sort of this checklist of what needs to be done every day, but the the management companies don't want that anymore because a bad manager forgets to do things. So to make sure that the bad manager doesn't forget things and things don't fall through the cracks, they have a checklist that they want done every day. And so my friend, even though he knows to do these things, it's his job to check off the items on the checklist every day and send this to his, you know, whatever the higher uh, the higher up office is and to make sure that things are done properly. So I think that the, uh, because engineers tend in many cases do if they're doing creative work, I think there's less of an emphasis on them doing a checklist. But I, in other industries, I certainly see it where people are being told exactly what to do on a daily basis. Um, and if you want that job, you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Actually, I just, uh, the other day I found an article and linked it in here to our show notes from the art of manliness blog. And they talked mm-hmm. about the power of checklists. And, uh, I got a couple of ideas for an article or two from it, but, uh, you know, in, in short, I'll link it. It's not too long of an article. Um, okay. Pretty useful. But they, they said it it doesn't really hinder productivity. It, it kind of allows for it. And one of the examples he used, um, my only problem with the article was it was a little anecdotal. But, uh, you know, when they were in, surger, in surgeons, uh, <laughs> now I'm screwing up too, Jeff. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, in operating theaters, which surgeons... Um, you know, they protested and said, you know, we have a very creative job. You know, you got to be able to think on your feet. And, uh, you know, if someone starts bleeding out, you got to just react. There can't be a checklist or anything. And they said, well, if you just implement the checklist, we're not trying to limit you when things go wrong. We're just trying to make sure you don't forget anything. You know, count the number of sponges you have and <laughs> did you wash your hands? And, you know, this, we can avoid most of the mistakes that are made in surgery if we just have this simple checklist that, yeah, mm-hmm. you're focused on is this guy alive or dead, and you don't care where the sponges are. But it, you know, hey, look, <laughs> we cross off this checklist because it's mandated. And yeah, I did forget a sponge, or you know, whatever. Yeah, the, we we don't want to be told what to do because we think we know better. But mm-hmm. there's a reason that pilots use checklists when they're checking out the plane, so they don't forget things. And there's a reason we want surgeons to have the checklist to make sure they count the number of sponges before they close us up. Yes, um, that was another so, example they used too. Was the the B seventeen flying fortress in World War II? It almost didn't mm-hmm. make it into production because I think uh, during one of the first test flights it crashed and I think it killed the crew. And they, you know, the government was like, "No, nah, it's too complicated. It's we want to go with this other design." And Boeing went ahead and implemented a, a dead simple checklist, and they had no more failures, and it ended up being one of the most successful planes of the war. Yeah. Yeah, so we, 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 we want to feel like we have a lot of freedom, but on, by the same token, to do our job professionally, we need to make sure we don't forget things. And so a checklist is very good in that, in that regard. Yeah, yeah. And this article goes through and gives you, uh, you know, some tips on how to create a checklist and how to refine a checklist and ways to prioritize different tasks, you know, whether it's something that has to be acted upon, you know, you have to just look and make sure this, this level, you know, do you have to flick a, flick a switch or do you just have to read a gauge? It kind of tells mm-hmm. you that. 
Um, and that, that I think checklists, whether we or not we use them as engineers, we could definitely write them depending on what your capacity is. If you're in a manufacturing or production role, you've probably done a lot of checklists. Yeah. And, and I, that is, I think, great in many regards. Writing a checklist if uh, forces you to go through and think about, especially it, whether it's for yourself or for somebody else, it makes you think carefully about what order things come in. And what are the things that you do by habit? I mean, you just know to do it. But somebody who doesn't have your experience, that doesn't have your insight, doesn't have your background, how do they know what to do? And so how do you explain, well, the gauge sort of flickers in the yellow area before it goes back to green. That's okay. But if it flickers in the yellow area and then goes up towards red and comes back to green, that's a bad thing. Well, sometimes you learn those those sorts of insights over time and with practice and experience. But if if it's important, then it's, it's worth writing down in a checklist so somebody knows to check for that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the ideas I got from the article um, was not potentially doing an app note on how to adapt a reference design that we put out to you know your own eventual circuit. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody does it and our chips get designed in, but there's a lot of stuff that you could put in a checklist. And, you know, as long as I make it clear that this is not going to be a complete 100% working design, if you follow this checklist, it'll get you most of the way there and then you can refine it. But it there is a certain order, you know, that I like to do it. You know, if you pick this resistor first and then that capacitor and then take a look at these two specs and make adjustments, it, it's a nice process. It's pretty easy to follow. I think it would lend itself yeah. to a checklist. So are you saying I'm not supposed to just take ran, uh, random reference designs and plug them together <laughs> and, and and create my product that way? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. And especially if you're working on parts, uh, you know, that go between vendors. I'm at least working on all the same inner sill parts. It's, it's the same circuit, quote unquote, over and over again. But yeah, there, there's things, you know, like Jeff said, you know, does the, the gauge go all the way to the red or does it hover for a few seconds and then come back down? Cause that's all right. You know, I know from looking at my waveforms like, Oh yeah, that's a bit of crud, but I haven't fixed that parameter yet. I'm more worried about the overall transient response, not what happens right in the first 20 microseconds or something. We, we've talked in the past with uh, James Trevelyan about the, you know, what engineers contribute. And again, I think there's a lot of this is that, we as engineers contribute a lot in just sharing information. You know, we, we feel like we're not doing something important if we're not designing a widget uh, or making a calculation. But a lot of our job is sharing information and making sure people are informed properly about what can be done, what they need to do, what the situation is, what the context is, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the problems with, with all these methods we've listed so far is we're sort of putting things in a notebook. You know, we're, we have tasks that show up on a, on a computer or we uh, – have a to-do list that we carry around with us. And uh, are you guys familiar with the the concept of uh, Kanban or Kanban? Uh, not until we started researching this show, no. Okay. So the uh, I was familiar just from manufacturing. It's a sort of a, a lean manufacturing concept. And my understanding is that uh, Kanban is the Japanese word for sign or billboard. And the idea is that you want to show everybody that's in the area exactly what's you know what's important and what you're working on, so that everybody can work on the same thing, be supportive, um, and I you know if there's a problem they can identify the problem very quickly. Uh, and so that idea has been translated into the concept of the personal kanban, 
So you've not you've not tried this, Carmen? I have not. No, I mean I I use whiteboards at work, but I don't think I follow this system. Okay. Okay. Well, so the sort of the 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 big idea is that you've got a, a whiteboard or something like that, and you're going to divvy up your tasks into various columns. And so most people who use this uh, put each of their tasks on a if they're doing it in analog, you can do this on a computer as well, but they will write each task on a post-it note. Okay. And so you've got three, basically three big areas that you're worrying about. You've got a ready area, you've got a doing area, and you've got a done area. And so your note, your tasks are going to start in the ready area. And then once you start them, you'll move your task. You'll pick the post-it note and you move it to the doing area. And then when it's, once it's finished, you will move it over to the done area. Uh, some people distinguish in the ready area between those things that are like cool, they're not really ready yet, uh, warm, they're getting ready, or those things that are hot, like they really need to be done. But what keeps you from moving everything in the doing area at once is the idea that you cannot put more than a certain number of items in the doing area. You can't overload yourself. So the idea is that you've got to finish. If you started on something in the doing area, you've got to finish it and move that task to the done area you know, pick it up off the whiteboard and move it one column over, and then you can bring something else from the ready area into the doing area. So uh, the benefits of this system are it's easy to visualize how many tasks you have because that's the number of post-it notes you've got on your board. Uh, you can sort of prioritize by moving items from, you know, from the cool area to the hot area, depending on which items need to be done next. Theoretically prevents you from doing too many things at once, and it gives you a sense of accomplishment because you can see how many post-it notes you've moved into the dot into the done column there's a there's a software program or a web app called trello t-r-e-l-l-o that can be used for this and and so a lot of groups of small businesses like using this uh, for organizing what their what their employees or or participants are doing uh, because it gives you this visual uh, representation of the tasks and and their their current status that's an interesting method i uh we have to give that a shot. <laughs> yeah, well, I like that because like you have the option of playing around and moving things. You know, I like my notebook, but once I write something down, I can't just pick it up and slide it halfway down the page if I want. Yeah, so that's nice. You just if you want to move an item from from cold, cool to warm to hot, you just pick up the post-it note, and move it over a column. Hmm. Interesting. My whiteboard is currently empty right now because I just cleaned it <laughs> off. <laughs> What is the uh, pragmatic episode that uh, you like about the whiteboard? Oh, You've it, mentioned that when we had uh, John Chigi on the show. Yes, uh, it's called Maximum Erasability. And it's That's it. everything you ever wanted to know and a few things you didn't about whiteboards. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and he doesn't, he doesn't mention the, uh, I don't think he calls out the Kanban method by name, but uh, he does talk about you know, different ways for keeping organized on a whiteboard and the pros and cons of different systems. Yeah, so I think that the, the, the the real pro to this is that you can, it's easy to visualize what's going on. You just look up and you don't have to, you know, study your notebook or something and flip through many pages. You look up at your whiteboard and it's there for you to see. And it's also, if you're working in a group, it's there for everybody else to see. So you can do this for group projects and you mm -hmm. have a, you know, a big whiteboard for the, for the group. Uh, sort of the downside is that theoretically you only move so many items into the doing column to keep yourself from getting overwhelmed. But as we all know, that's hard to do when somebody calls up and says, I need this now. 
and you've already got two projects underway, what's going to stop you from starting the third project because somebody says I need it yeah. right now? And the other one that's that, uh, Adam, when you were mentioning earlier whether these these big project organization systems worked or not, one of the problems is this that a problem that this system, the personal Kanban has, is that work is never done. You know, you 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 want to say that a project is done or a task is done. But there's so many tasks in life that come back, you know, and so I'm sure you, you, if you've not experienced it, you're starting to experience this in your engineering careers. People come back and ask you about a project you worked on two years ago. And so, nope, you know, projects don't ever die. <laughs> they just go on and on and on. And, and so you'll work on something. Uh, and, and certainly I did where there were projects that I worked on 10 and 15 years ago and somebody would give me a phone call and say, hey, do you remember what we did there? You know, just old projects never die. They, they keep coming back and back and back. And so it's hard to, you may move a, an item into the done column or you may cross it off, but it's, uh, it's only temporarily done. <laughs> so what's, uh, Carmen, what's another item or another way that we might uh, try to get things done? So this, this last one here isn't, uh, isn't so much a method as it is a mindset. And, okay. Uh, it's called the don't break the chain method. And it was made famous uh, by Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, uh-huh. by the yeah. awesome TV show of the same name. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> wants to be friends with me, drop a Seinfeld quote in if we ever meet. <laughs> uh, but that's neither here nor there. And uh, what Jerry would do was he'd have a, a big calendar and he would cross out the days that he would write something with a big X on the calendar. And the goal was to write every single day and to keep that chain as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it... it, it you know, usually in these kinds of systems, it doesn't matter what you write. You know, it could be a, a doodle or a few words or it could be a, a paragraph or two or, you know, a thousand words if you're really cranking. But the important thing is to just always get something down so it becomes a habit. Um, and that, you know, you, same with exercising. You know, you do a little bit each time. You know, even if you don't go for your full five-mile run each day, if you just jog around the block once or twice, it's, it's something. It's better than sitting on your couch watching another episode of Futurama on Netflix. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's just a nice mentality to get in. And I've, <laughs> I always had this romantic idea that I'm going to do it and I try <laughs> it and I, I do it for a few days and then I fall off the, I break the chain, <laughs> but it, yeah. it is something to strive for and to keep working towards. And, right. Um, Dimitri yeah, it, Martin, the comedian, he, uh, he employed a similar method, um, he talks about it on his interview on the Nerdist podcast that we'll link into. And, you know, they're, they're talking about his getting started and everything. And he said he used to, every day while he'd start the coffee pot, he would write, you know, ideas for jokes and sketches and whatever. And, and you know, while the coffee's getting made, he's like, it's, it's a solid 10 to 15 minutes chunk of time that he's not doing anything. He's waiting for the coffee to be done. You know, who, who cares if he doodles in a notebook? Right. Um, and he said he found that immensely helpful and for getting his ideas out and organizing his thoughts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- This reminded me of an article that I came across a few years ago uh, that was called A Cranky Pessimist Guide to Getting Things Done. And uh, so they, this author sort of gave some ideas for those that tend to be perfectionists. And so, and if you're a perfectionist, the problem is you don't want to start on something because you don't feel like it's going to turn out, you know, just the way you want it to turn out. Um, so this, uh, this author gave a couple of points. See, there's, uh, four points here that I, that sort of resonated with me because I tend to fall into these, 
uh, tendencies to to want to work on something uh, till it's too perfect. And he says, number one, don't wait until you feel like doing something. And the, and this don't break the chain is sort of in that idea that whether you feel like doing it today or not, you're going to do it. You know, don't wait until you you get the right uh, the right vibe. Just get down and and do it for a while. Number two, he says, is try deliberate mediocrity. If you're you're the perfectionist type and and you uh, you want it to be just right, you know, allow yourself to do it forty percent right or sixty percent right. That's good enough. And quite o- quite often, you will do it better than that. But at least you've you've forced yourself to get started to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, don't break the chain. Thirdly, he says, focus on process, not outcome. Again, just do it. What these comedians are not saying, it's important that we write brilliant jokes every day. They're saying it's important that we write every day. Yes. So it's, it's <laughs> the process, not the outcome. Yeah. Um, you can always go back and pull bits and pieces and your little nuggets of genius out and polish them up then. But right. each day it's important to write. Right. And uh, finally, he says, think about how badly things could go. And so the idea is that if you, if you think about what's the worst thing that can happen, usually the worst thing that can happen is not that bad. If, you, if you'll just give it an idea and go, well, I, I waste an hour of my time trying something and it wasn't that great. Well, that's not, you know, that's not life and death. That's not that horrible. And so if you're of the perfectionist bent, just consider that giving it a try, go, you know, doing something every day, it's not that horrible. It's not that awful. It's, it's, uh, it's not a reason not to start. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, you know, as you, you make it a habit, you make it a habit, you know, assuming you're not just doing it while the coffee pot's running. Um, you know, if it's right after lunch is your time to write or write or simulate or do whatever it is you're trying to do <laughs> that you're not trying to break the chain. You know, right. 15, 20 minutes is a good chunk of time. You could wind up in the zone we were talking about. And then next thing you know, oh, look at that. An hour, hour and a half's gone by. Right. And assuming you're not chewing into things you actually have to get done, that you know you're you're putting off more important tasks, you know it, that that's really good. You're going to make a lot of progress that way. Yeah. Well, and I think that again, back to the uh, the GDT stuff of of writing down those next action items. That there are a lot of times when it just seems like when I use that type of system, I'm getting little things done, and go, boy, this is I'm not accomplishing anything. I've you know, I've ordered filters for the for the furnace. Big deal. But then three weeks later, when the task is to replace the furnace filter, I, there it is. I've got it. I you know, the, mm-hmm. the filter's there, and now I can do the task and get it done and check that off the list. Um, and I so I think that a lot of this stuff is if you get in the habit of writing these things down and just taking care of the little items and getting them out of the way, it doesn't take that much time, and the rewards cut. Or sort of delayed sometimes. It's it's not till several weeks or months later that you go, boy, all this accumulated, and and I'm now reaping the benefits of what I did over the past weeks and months. But I I do find that I, if I will sit down and take the time to write these things out and keep track of them and stay with it, don't give up after a few weeks. Stay with it for a few months, then I start to reap benefits from uh, having some sort of organizational system. Yes, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's not that may not be something that pays off immediately, but. If you can get organized and actually get some things done, you'll you'll thank yourself for it later. I think so. Mm-hmm. You've got a few notes here about the uh, the choices that we can make in whatever system we try to implement. Whether we should do analog, which I guess is usually paper and pencil. I guess a whiteboard would be analog too, or digital. Put it on a computer. 
Yeah, yeah, and there's <laughs> just just a quick list here. I'm sure there's infinitely more that I'm neglecting. You know, you have Evernote, which gives you the option of snapping pictures with your smartphone, and if you have the app, you know, organizing everything right then and there, and you can tag it all for easy search, or you can use some kind of Dropbox method um, with a text file, or, you know, I think there's actually little apps that sync your to-do to Dropbox and everything. Yeah. Have, have you guys used Evernote? No. Nope. A little bit. I've I've used it to host stuff for my blog and whatnot, but never really in any big capacity. Okay. Yeah. So I haven't. I I mean I I read about it and I know a lot of people are using it. It seems like it has a not a lot of neat features, but I've not tried it. I just wondered what your experience was with it. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> as we talk about getting things done. It's one of those things that I look at and I go, oh yeah, it's really cool. I'm gonna organize all this stuff I have and. It's going to just be my nice big scrapbook, and yeah, and I, I made an account, and I didn't really do anything. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, maybe you can add that to your to-do list. Yeah, I, I actually get along better with paper and pencil. Okay. Yeah, I keep a, a notebook in my back pocket. Right. And I'm always scribbling in it or taking quick notes. Well, paper works even when the internet breaks. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So, and I, I am using uh, Dropbox a lot more these days. Dropbox and Google Drive for keeping keeping track of stuff, just so I can, <clears throat> you know, wherever I go, I've got access to it. Uh, that's a that's an advantage that the the notebook system doesn't have. If if you happen to have set the notebook down on your desk and you're you know you've made a quick trip to the uh, hardware store, there's just, <laughs> there's just no way to get back to that information. No, no, sadly there isn't. And, you know, you also have the issue of writing in multiple notebooks, uh, which is what I do. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm, I, I got to the little, I use the little, uh, little, uh, tiny moleskin or moleskin, uh, cashmere notebooks. Are those the ones that are like the size of a business card or so? Uh, they're bigger than a business card. They're maybe three by five. Okay. So I, so I put that fits neatly in my back pocket. So where, when I head out for the day, I put that in my back pocket and then write down notes during the day in there. And then when I get home, then I transfer it into my Nosby system. So I've got it sort of in my, my major system. Yeah, that's what I do with my – I use field notes and I, I scribble everything down from shopping lists or to-do lists or whatever. And mm-hmm. you know, if anything's important, it's in there. I'll transfer it to a bigger notebook. Yeah. And I, I got a similar system at work too. I have uh, – Kind of like one notebook I'll use as scratch for calculations or a quick test data or whatever. And then I'll transfer it over into my nice, you know, kind of more durable notebook that has all my, I don't know, golden stuff in it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, right. difficult test setups or hard derivations, stuff that if I ever had to look back at it, I want it. I don't need to look at my scribbled notes with, you know, half crossed out things, you know. It's nice to rewrite a derivation because it's it, it gives me a chance to go over it and make sure I make any dumb math mistakes. And mm-hmm. then if I'm just scribbling out on paper, I'll do a whole bunch of try a few different methods of solving the problem. But when I put the one method in my notebook, I can you know make a little asterisk and say I made this assumption here. Or this is why it shows this value. And it, it, mm-hmm. I have a lot of work, you know, or a lot of success going back and seeing old stuff. 
And uh, okay. you know, give me a second here. I'll mute my mic, I, and I got to go quiet my dog down. <laughs> I, I, I hear, yeah, I some hear, hear some gurring going on back there. I was, I was hoping that it was not a, a dog attacking you. No, no, Sadie's an Evernote fan. That's why she's getting cranky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, what about you, Adam? What uh, do you use the analog method for keeping track of uh, your tasks to do? Um, I, I use a, a combination. Well, I consider my my pile a analog method. Uh, yes. <laughs> Um, which w- w- works out surprisingly, surprisingly well. It's also got that, that nice visual, um, reminder that I have to get to work, um, because mm-hmm. it, it's kind of, it can be, in, uh, impeding depending on the day. Um, yeah. I also, uh, for, for managing kind of longer term tasks, I, I do, I use Excel, um, none of these fancy apps or anything, uh, right. just a good old Excel sheet on a shared drive. Uh, so I can see it and my team can see it and we can all be on the same page of this is what's gotta, gotta happen. Um, right. and I carry up a, a printout of that in my, my notebook. Okay. Um, I update it every week and, and so I always, uh, I make scribbles on that if I'm at a meeting or something and, and, uh, try to get that updated on the, the master electronic copy. Right. And, and do you keep a separate list for your, you know, your personal activities? Um, to be honest, I'm not terribly organized to my personal activities. I just kind of <laughs> <laughs> do what you have to do. Yep. Uh, my phone's set up to remind me that I'm supposed to be here for the, uh, the engineering commons report recording sessions. And, uh, um, I try not to get too overly organized in my personal life. Uh, <laughs> that's sort of, uh, on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> one, uh, one technique I've seen, comes up on the engineering subreddits once in a while on Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. Someone will always throw up that they use one or two, you know, either one just big catch-all or, you know, a few separate ones for each project. Like I'd label each chip as a separate text file. And they just use it as a big dump for everything they've done. So they'll they'll go on and say, uh, you know, data, preliminary data sheet written, uh, added application section and engineering spec table. And then in, in Notepad, just plain regular Notepad that comes baked in Windows. If you hit F5, um, it'll insert the date and time so they know when they got it done and they have a log. And I always thought that was pretty interesting. So it's sort of a, a human-generated log like yeah. you would with a computer system. Yeah, just a nice big running list of everything they've gotten done. And that way, you know, when it comes time to be accountable for your tasks, whether it's at a meeting or some kind of performance review. They have date yeah. and time of everything they've done for every project. That was exactly what I was going to say, is it comes in handy at a performance review because it's amazing how many things we forget we've done if we haven't jotted down a note about it. And so I found a lot of times going back through when I was using the Franklin Planner system, I would flip through and go, oh, I completely forgot that last February – you know, I, I helped in, pitched in and did this spreadsheet or I designed this widget for somebody. And, uh, you know, when, when you're trying to, you know, make your case for a raise or something at the end of the year, it's nice to know, to be able to identify the things you've done as, as opposed to just saying, well, I'm a nice guy. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can float me a few dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I've got uh, weekly reports I send off to my boss and it, I include stuff in there. But one of the things that I, you know, you do, but it always kind of falls by the wayside is, um, reviewing customer designs and giving them feedback on their schematics and layouts. And it's important. And, you know, you try to catch as many errors as you can, but it's one of those things that like 
when you're looking at the big picture of what did I get done this year, you're like, oh, I wrote the data sheet for this and the full validation for that. And, you know, yeah, if you did one or two reviews, maybe not that big of a deal. But if you can go back and have documentation that you did eight, nine, ten of them in a year, maybe yeah. more, that that's pretty good. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so we should uh, we should maybe wrap up this uh, conversation, wrap up this episode of the uh, the podcast. Yeah, but I got things to do. <laughs> that's right. You've <laughs> got got several more items to add to your to do list. Exactly. Uh, but I I, th- I think the key here is that uh, there are benefits to using some sort of to do list, some sort of task management system. Uh, to me, though, you know, there's no magic bullet. Uh, nothing will be perfect, but Use uh, here's a quote I found. Use any tool you want, but focus on getting those tasks out of your way and not putting them into pretty boxes. Yes, and uh, I'd like to hear what our listeners are using to keep track of their tasks. You know, if it's something as simple as a text text file with hitting F five every time something's done, or you know, some fancy pen and paper method. Um, I I have an interest in these things, and I'm always looking to try them out. Absolutely. So. Uh, you know, send us send us a uh, email, uh, admin at theengineeringcommons.com, or you can go to our website and uh, leave a comment and let us know what kind of task management system you're using and why it works and how you've modified it to meet your own needs. Yeah, yeah, or tweet at us or, you know, smoke signals. I'm always watching the skies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well. Terrific. Well, we can, uh, we can now – Check this episode off of our list. Woohoo. Another box off our editorial calendar. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. Enjoyed the conversation, and uh, we'll get together in a couple weeks and do this one more time. All right. Sounds good. See you guys later. All right. Take care. Bye. Good night. The Engineering Commons is produced in affiliation with Big Beacon, a social movement for transforming engineering education, located on the web at bigbeacon.org. For more information about the podcast you've just heard, please visit theengineeringcommons.com. Our theme music is by Paul Stevenson.